You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Well, Jerry, here we are. Episode 10 of The Wheelhouse. It's been a, it's been a while, man. How you been? We're, we're in double digits. That's now. right. This uh, is, we're doing something okay then. Yeah, it's been, it's been a whirlwind offseason, really. It's, it seems like the offseason usually takes forever until we get to pitchers and catchers and, and you get down to the sun and, and the, the fun of spring training. This offseason has just flown by. And, and I feel like it's generally been no more or less active for us, but the workload has been incredibly high throughout. And I'm looking forward to getting down to, to Arizona just to see a little sun. <laughs> Is there a particular reason why the workload has been higher this year than normal offseasons? Well, we've done a lot. You know, we, we restructured our high performance department, medical department. That took time mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of effort and, and frankly, continued effort. We, uh, we went through the, the pursuit and recruitment of, of Shohei Otani, which took a lot of time. Uh, and that one took a lot of time, both you know physically and emotionally, and a lot of off hours work for a lot of people. Obviously, the roster moves we've made, we made a couple of coaching staff hires and additions, we've restructured a lot. And then what we do every two years here, uh, years past, every handful of years, you would have an organizational meeting to establish philosophy, make sure everybody's effectively, their education was up to date. And uh, this year we did it in pockets. So we, we met with each of our, our core groups in scouting and player development, each of the individual scouting groups, the international, the amateur, and the pro, and, and just popped around the world effectively, visiting with our groups, and some here in Seattle, some in Arizona, some in the Dominican Republic. and. And our our executive level leaders and uh, and departmental leaders educated them on where we were. That took uh, sure. a considerable amount of time. So uh, you know, and sprinkle in some winter meetings and some general manager meetings and and some free agent pursuits and trades. And all of a sudden, you know, it's it's coming up on the, the end of February and it's time to go. And you've started a podcast. There you go. Yeah, yeah. No, I forgot about the podcast. <laughs> well, this is going to be a fun podcast. We're going to talk about a lot of different things, including we're going to dive into the pitching for the Mariners a little bit as well. But uh, speaking of Sun, you uh, somewhat recently got back from a, a pretty unique trip to Texas. Can you tell us what happened? Yeah, there wasn't a lot of Sun. But, uh, yeah, myself, Scott Service, Jeff Kingston, um, Lorena Martin, and Andy McKay. Five of us went down. We visited with the Houston Rockets. Great guys, uh, Gerson Rosas and Daryl Moore. Th- 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 this group, from the from the the performance on the court to the way they they kind of cultivate their their organization, the plan they have in place. You know, we just went through a best practices visit with them, and it was hugely valuable to us. We learned a lot from them. They are much further along in their process. But we took a step back and walked through where they began, which is closer to the stage where we've been these last two years. And, you know, and, and a lot of advice, a lot of potential for, for direction and, and trying to figure out where the crossover exists between the two sports. So did you just, like, send somebody a LinkedIn message one day? I mean, how did the relationship with the Rockets begin? Yeah, you know, I met Gerson Rosas, who's the VP of Basketball Ops for the, for the Rockets at a, at a, a leaders in sport function in, in London something else that I did this this offseason. Sure, you're right. Good yeah. point. And, uh, and Gerson, just a terrific guy, easy to connect with. Obviously, you know, he is he is connected with Daryl running the, the one of the most successful franchises in the NBA. 
and just started talking and, and uh, really had a nice, enjoyable conversation with him while we were there and, and connected via email afterward. And, and uh, he invited us to come out anytime. I, we, we took him up on it, and it was a tremendous visit. And uh, I think we've, we've made a friend, and we've learned a lot. And hopefully the, the opportunity exists for us to reciprocate and, and, and allow the, them to come up here, maybe throw together a summit in the box and, and watch a Mariners win one night this summer. Did you see the beer? Did you see James Harden? Yeah, it was crazy. We we, we happened to be there, and I, I got to say that there's I had not seen an NBA game in a long, long time. You know, dating back maybe six or eight years, uh, to maybe longer than that. And and we we happened to be there on the night that James Harden had one of the best nights in the history of the NBA. Were you were there for the sixty point triple yeah, double. We, in fact, we were. And uh, you know, it's a, we were we were sitting there and and looking at each other like, is is this guy this good? It was incredible to watch. And we had just walked through the you know kind of the the element how big the superstar is at the, at the NBA level be, because they are smaller rosters and and we just watched one player take over a game and not to belittle the role players who who chipped in and did some great things that night too but James Harden was phenomenal and just watching the way a, a great player could take over a game and we've seen it in baseball we just never saw it quite that it was a it was literally a one-man show it was awesome so he sold you on their high performance program single-handedly he did I said if we can get our players to do that <laughs> sign me up <laughs> Uh, were you surprised when you went down this path with the Rockets to learn how much a Major League Baseball team can learn from an industry leader in the NBA? Oh, that, you know, I wasn't surprised only because, and as I've shared with you and maybe some of what we've talked about on the podcast before, we have spent a lot of time visiting with various teams here in Seattle with teams like the Sounders and the Seahawks and, and, and exploring high performance models or, or the like roster building, organization building, employee development, things like that. So not only had we visited with local teams, we had done best practice visits with other teams in the, the, the English Premier Soccer League, some teams in Australian Rules Football, and, and learned a lot. It only seemed logical that you know, the relative nature of the NBA, it's a different sport with a different roster size and maybe a different financial dynamic, but team building is still team building. And at its root, we're all putting together, putting athletes in a room, and, and how does that work? It might not be the same contract language, but you're trying to connect a group of athletes to, to believe in something bigger than themselves. Clearly, the Rockets have done a great job of it, and hopefully we can do the same. That's exciting stuff. I'm sure that uh, when we when we play when the Mariners play in Houston, of course we we see uh, what the Toyota Center is that right or uh, correct right yeah. right by the hotel all the time. So maybe um, we'll know where you are a little bit when we next play uh, against the Astros in Houston. No, there's no doubt. I'll be hiding <laughs> over there. It was a great time. Well, uh, today as we are recording this on Tuesday, it is Jerry. It's Truck Day, which is always a big day around baseball. The the truck left today for Peoria, and uh, yesterday I brought my my boxes of diapers and baby wipes and puzzles and uh, children's books. I'm sure your boxes were a little bit different. There's Oddly enough, this is the very first year. This is my 30th spring training, and I, this is the first time I've never put anything on the truck. Really? <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, I mean, we're, we drive. Sure. You know, I, I, I think you may be aware of that. My wife and I drive. We take our dogs, and uh, and we, we drive down. It's it's something we started doing a couple of years back when my when my dogs started getting a little bit older and they couldn't handle flying. I'm sad to say that this past week I lost my my oldest dog. I'm He's sorry no to hear that, Jerry. Trucking around in his diaper. So 
uh, sad day. He was, he was with us a long time. But in uh, truck day, you know, it's, it's taking all of our, our weight equipment, all of our medical supplies, all of our baseball equipment, uh, you name it. And it is all now headed down to Peoria. And, you know, Ryan Stiles, our clubhouse guys, worked their tails off the, the week leading up to truck day to make sure that anything we have from computers to, to books, manuals, et cetera, makes its way down. And you know, this year, basically what I'm taking is my, my briefcase with my, my laptop. I don't really do much in the world of paper anymore. And, and, uh, and, and I'm taking my wife, my dogs, and a bag of clothes. That have <laughs> and I'm good to go. Now, will Hanniger's dog be with you? Uh, there's the potential exists, you know, uh, not for the trip down. You know, Mitch and Mitch and his wife are making their way down. I volunteered that if uh, if on the way back up there was a concern Mitch had about uh, about his his puppy making it back <laughs> north after spring training, I said, ah, what the heck? We've got we've got a car full. Throw him in there anyway. So, so you so, never know. So fill us in on the drive down. I mean, first of all, how long of a drive does this take you? Uh, it's about twenty two hours. Really? Yeah, and we we don't. You know, we have done it in two days where we just plow through, and we've also done it in, in a four or five day stretch. This particular trip, we are planning on leaving tomorrow. Uh, we're going to make our way first down to San Diego. We're going to take the scenic tour. I guess so. Yeah, uh, my son goes to school in San Diego, and they have their opening. He, he plays baseball at UC San Diego. Uh, they have their opening weekend uh, coming up this weekend, and we're going to get to see him pitch. So. Uh, we will leave today. We'll make our way down to San Diego, hit San Diego by the weekend, hopefully stop at a couple of Triple D joints along Yeah, I'd the say way. so, right? Uh, see Jonah, see his girlfriend, watch him pitch, and then we'll head over to uh, to Peoria on Sunday evening. Very cool. Yeah, so we are, well, let's call it a week until pitchers and catchers. Uh, so are you, once you get down to spring training, which it sounds like will obviously take you a little while, I mean, you're basically, you just have your mobile office there at the Peoria Sports Complex, and it's just... Everything just runs smoothly just from a different part of the country. Is that fair to say? That is extremely fair to say. I, I walk in, there's a there, there's a desktop top computer, which I rarely use. I've got my, my laptop that I cruise with, and I spend more time out of my office in spring training than any other time of the year. It's You, know, you want to be outside. It's, it's great weather. I can't wait to see the players moving around and doing their thing. It's so much fun in the spring because you're right on top of them. It's more personal. It's up close. I think not just for us, for the fans. Uh, the, the players are excited to be down there. They're close enough to, to touch and feel. It's, the, it's your premium, let me get an autograph or meet Felix Hernandez moment. They're all right there for you. I, and for those who have not really visited spring training, it is a great time. Great time. You, you go down. My thought is if I were not involved in baseball, I'd get down there and just vacation for a month, cruise from, you know, for, for sure. from facility to facility and just bug the living daylights out of the players. Now, who's in charge of the music selection on the drive down? Depends on who's driving. Oh, is uh, that the key? Have, have you ever seen the the show Portlandia? Yes. <laughs> yes. It's a little quirky. It's a little quirky. Do you remember the uh, – Fred Armisen from Saturday Night Live. Right. He he does Portlandia. There was an episode of Portlandia where they had a it was it was referencing a safe word. The safe word was cacao. <laughs> Do you remember that episode? No, I don't. It's fabulous. If I just remember the only one I remember is where does this chicken come from? <laughs> yeah, they they had a safe word. The safe word was cacao. So depending on who's driving, whether it's my wife and I or I, we generally have similar music tastes. But depending on the time of night, you know, if you're right. alert, if sometimes you might want '70s soft, sometimes you may want, you know, that '80s more is bang your style. Heads. Yeah, yeah. And uh, sometimes you just might want something current, which is usually more her thing. And 
and uh, we've we've made an agreement that whoever is is riding shotgun chooses the music, and the safe word if you don't like the song is cacao, and then that person changes the. So the, now wait, the, the, the person, the non-driver chooses the music. Correct. Now this should this not surprise me? Uh, it, I, you might find it surprising. We don't find it surprising. I, you know, I love my wife and her and her musical tastes. I don't mind throwing an occasional cacao out there. <laughs> it, it's it's usually it's usually something that 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 uh, she is pulling out of her uh, her more recent mix that doesn't you know mix in with my bag of tricks. Do you do you try uh, to? I mean, is the driving split fifty fifty here? Do you guys probably go try to pretty go pretty even? Uh, try to go pretty even. Okay. You know, usually she'll complain that I'm driving for too long without stopping. And uh, you know, which probably means she's getting sick of sitting there. But, I got you. You know, we'll do the, yeah, the music. We'll do uh, we'll do name that tune. We have a, a little cover that slides over the, the display so we can't tell what song it is. And we'll just turn on some rando radio station okay. and try to name that tune. Uh, yeah, so, something's got to get you through 22 was, hours. Well, but, I would imagine you're cutting at least one deal during every drive to spring training, right? You can't go that long with an activity of talking to somebody about somebody else. It's not the greatest cell phone coverage, but, oh, okay. uh, you know, I, but I will say that there have been deals struck on the on the ride, either back or forth. And okay. uh, minimally, those are times where you have – it's a great opportunity to make the, the check-in phone calls with the people in the field to, to find out how everybody is. But by and large, you're heading down to spring training to, to talk to your folks. The, this is the last time that you get a chance to check in with other teams before the, the grind starts. Gotcha. Well, uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about pitching in this episode today. And we've covered, I feel like in the first nine episodes, we've touched on pitching probably a little bit in each one. And we've covered uh, the bullpen, the rotation, and very specific pieces altogether. But one thing that I know probably we don't talk about enough is moves that were made last year in preparation for this year. Mike Leake probably headlining that class. But I feel like that might be worth something kind of hitting on again because this – this was a rare situation, maybe not too rare, but I feel like it's maybe somewhat so, of moves made over the summer uh, in preparation for the following spring. Normally we think about that happening over the winter. I think that's right. And and last year where we were headed into the, to the trade deadline, it will start in July, headed into the trade deadline, we weren't having a particularly good year. We were battling injury. Our, our starting rotation, if not our pitching staff, was oftentimes – appeared to be in shambles or something of a mash unit and and headed into July the 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 way the American League was was rolling it allowed us to stay within shouting distance of the of, of a postseason position which became ever more possible as we got closer to August 1st and you know so we tried to take a look at what can we do in this market in the July trade market July August the waiver trade periods and and augment our team that would both allow us to to stay relevant now and potentially catch the leaders in what was a very winnable wild card scenario, but would also take a step toward uh, pushing us into a, a deeper and better pitching staff for 2018. And and I think we did those things. You know, we we turned what was the last let's call it two months of Steve Ciszek into another. Well, two and a half years of Erasmo Ramirez, which we found to be an appealing outcome. Uh, you know that one cost us that one cost us two months of what we thought was an effective reliever and about a million dollars. And in in the case of Mike Leake, we put together a deal with the Cardinals in which we we sent them an A ball shortstop prospect. They sent us back Mike Leake, effectively paid down to what we thought was more than a fair rate based on what we anticipated out of the coming free agent market. 
And we looked at Mike in in terms of his historic contributions. We looked at him in terms of ways we thought we might be able to enhance his current performance. And we looked at him for, you know, in against the free agent market. What is Mike Leak as a 30-year-old-to-be starting pitcher get in the market coming off of a really durable history where, you know, I said this a couple of weeks ago, you know, every year there's about 90 starting pitchers in baseball that will generate a wins above a replacement number of 1.4 greater starting pitchers. Now, so effectively, one, two, and three starters. We, we tend to poo-poo uh, pitchers who don't, you know, if, if they're not at least a two-war guy, we, we won't even consider them. You know, there's only 90 guys in baseball every year that are going to churn out a number of, of one, four or better. And Mike Leake has always been one of those guys. You know, he's, uh, he's been in the league for seven, eight years now. He's always been one of those guys. And we have no reason to expect that he won't continue to be. So I feel like the, the Erasmo Mike Leake additions for the coming year allow us what we hope are 60 plus starts, but, you know, minimally 60 starts of two very solid major league pitchers who may not have marquee value, but are both very good at what they do. Interested to talk to you a little bit about Felix, and I know roughly a week or so ago when you addressed the media here at Safeco Field, am I remembering right the number you threw out there was 16, 16 starts? If it's fewer than that, then obviously the Mariners are going to be in trouble. Um, and Felix last year made 16 starts. It's When people talk about Felix, Jerry, and I feel like maybe this is a good platform to get this this message out on, because even in Seattle, and I'm I'm baffled by this, People talk about Felix's fastball velocity like it's this thing that's come crashing down like a meteor from the days of him being dominant, not just winning the Cy Young, but even you go back a few years to when he nearly, you make, could make the case, and we have made the case, they could have beat Corey Kluber for the Cy Young, right? I mean, his average fastball that year, if it was more than 91 and a half, I mean, you want to say 92, I mean, it, it couldn't have been. It's just, I mean, I'm curious what you have to say. In my eyes, it's simply been a matter of, of command and obviously the health to go along with it. Assuming Felix is healthy for the season, which I know that there is a great emphasis for him to do that, what is it that a pitcher can do, especially a pitcher that is as talented as him, just to simply get the consistent command that we have seen before? Because, I mean, you're, you're the GM, Jerry, but the pitching, the fastball, people make so much of it. He's going to be the greatest junk ball pitcher of all time if he's healthy and has his command. If he wants to do that. You know, <laughs> I, I, do, I, I don't think there's any question that, that Felix's performance, his actual ability to go out and perform, is the least of my concerns. You know, If Felix is healthy, he knows how to pitch. Scott mentioned it during media week in, in our press conference you know, seven, ten days ago. Felix has, the, whether it's the breaking ball spin, mm-hmm. it's the quality of the changeup, his pitch quality outside of his fastball is extraordinary. And frankly, his performance within the context of his, of his usability these last couple of years, 25 starts, I think, in 2016, 16 starts in 2017, you know, the aggregate performance is, is quite functional for us. If we can get Felix to, to the 2016 bulk with the 2017 approach, that's that's excellent for us. That's a good outcome. Our expectations of Felix, 
You know, it, I think some of the expectations are Felix is a better way to phrase it are unrealistic based on how good the the, the peak of, of of his career has been. This is one of the best. It's one of the, the three most impactful Mariners in history. This is one of the best pitchers that has has pitched in in this century. Is a, is maybe the most dramatic way I can put it. And there's no reason that that shouldn't go on. The rarity in the game are the guys like a Nolan Ryan or a Justin Verlander who maintain super high velocity well into their their careers like that. So, you know, Felix is going to overcome, he's going to figure this out and, you know, the statement that I made about his his bulk, so to speak, wasn't a challenge nor was it putting too much weight on Felix's shoulder. Felix is the the Mariners in a lot of ways over the last 15 years, 10, 12 years. And uh, and this is if Felix is not Felix Cy Young version. If Felix is healthy and takes the ball and pitches like he has pitched the last two years, the Mariners are going to be a good team. Has the command for Felix been simply with this fastball? Is it simply fastball command for Felix? And a 91 mile an hour fastball is now catching too much of the plate last year compared to say two years ago. Is it that simple? I, I think it was the case two years ago. Last year, I think his command was okay. quite good. Uh, you know, gave up some homers in a year where a lot of people gave sure. up some homers. <laughs> but, the, you know, last year we saw the walk rate come down. He attacked the strike zone quite a bit. And you know, if, if that is who we get, if Felix is getting after the strike zone, if he maintains a walk rate like he showed in 2017, we, thought, we saw his strikeout rate go up because he started adapting to his, his pitch selection. It's not, I, frankly, it's not within his control, and to a degree, I suppose it's not within ours, the frequency with which he could take the mound last year. Right. But the combination of a long off season, a new training regime, and, and, a, and a better understanding of who he is, I think leads us to high hope for what 2018 bears. And, and high hope for us is not circling back to 2009, 2006, and, and trying to remember the 97-mile-an-hour Felix Hernandez. Felix still has the, the machismo. He still has the presence. He still has the pitch quality, and he still has the pitcher's mind to go out there and be quite good. The changeup, is the changeup still the same changeup, more or less, than it was as it was three years ago? I mean, is it still as deadly as a pitch as it was when he was in Cy Young conversations? Tough to say that it would be that. You know, it's still a, an excellent pitch. The the action on his changeup. Will will we use a, a pitch grade called action score? P- Felix's action score on his changeup is among the best in baseball, and <laughs> and should be. I mean, it's like watching a screwball dive. The fact is that the big difference in his changeup right now is that the fastball velocity is ebbing closer to the changeup velocity. So, and oftentimes you will look at it. And I remember being, you know, with other clubs, sitting and watching Felix pitch, whether as a scout or then later as a, an, a, an executive in the division, watching him pitch. And sometimes he'd throw that changeup 91 miles an hour, and it would just dive off a cliff. He's still throwing that same changeup. You know, the fastball just doesn't have quite as much separation. And I think it took him some some time to figure that out. And, you know, he's got great feel for his changeup. I, I, I think it's it's been his best pitch for a number of years. It's an awesome pitch. And as long as he keeps that changeup under the zone, he keeps his fastball moving around the zone, and he's got both breaking balls, any one of which he can throw for a strike at any time. That's a pretty good combination of events. Was it – I know Scott has been public talking about Felix – and wanting him to adapt to less of a let's strike out eight, nine, ten batters a game. 
how difficult is that to have a conversation like that to a player who, as you just referenced, is one of the greats of his generation, especially from the right-handed side, and a guy who has an entire cheering section in his honor. I mean, how difficult is that to have that talk and also to have that talk really resonate and sink in? I think that's it's probably not really a talk. It's a personal adjustment. And uh, maybe the easiest pitcher in history to cite who and it really through no fault of his own, Frank Tanana had to make that adjustment at a very young age. And Frank Tanana had two awesome careers. He had the awesome Frank Tanana mid, you know, early mid-70s where he was just a stud striking everybody out, throwing in the mid-upper 90s. And then he had the Frank Tanana go out there and find different ways to win games, which he did for many, many years thereafter, primarily with the Tigers and the like. It was a great career. Uh, Felix Felix isn't throwing Frank Tanana's fastball. You know, we're not talking about Felix's fastball as if it's Jamie Moyer's heater. Right. You know, it, 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 we're, it, it, it's moving forward at a crisp pace. <laughs> so, you know, I think, uh, I think in, in Felix's case, it's not necessarily about somebody sitting. You can't talk somebody into it. That would be like me talking you into, you know what, Aaron? I know you've been walking all of your life up until this time. Now I want you to crawl. It's a, it's unfair. He has, you know, he has succeeded because he's confident. We don't want to take that confidence away. We believe in him. He believes in himself. At some point, the player adapts. And I really do think that what we saw last year from Felix is he started to adapt. You know, he's still confident in himself. He knows what he can do. And, you know, in 2016, it was a big adjustment for him. In 2017, I I, I think we saw what Felix can be capable of. We just didn't see it over a, a fully – I guess if you extrapolate what he did over a long season, the results are there. Well, that's fascinating. I think everybody is eager to see what Felix is like this year, and uh, that's really good insight. We, we, yeah. I'm not curious at all. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, hey, let's let's turn a little bit to some uh, some reader questions. We've got a couple of good ones. Uh, Derek Westcott. Remember, you can always email us uh, the wheelhouse at mariners.com. And uh, Derek uh, chimes in and asks uh, Jerry, outside of being excited and thankful that baseball is back, what can the average fan be watching for and take away from spring training? Uh, what do we miss? What do we read too much into? And also, Derek is uh, just wants to say thanks for the podcast, and especially Jerry for the uh, restaurant suggestions he was just recently in Scottsdale. Oh yeah, I <laughs> believe me, I'm looking forward to next week. Um, I think the spring training to me, I just hit on it. So many things are exciting about spring training. Arizona spring training has nuances. I, I think of the now 30 spring trainings, I think 26 of them I've been in Arizona. It is an offensive league. So it's a, one of the things that you can do. You can overestimate the impact of offensive performance statistically in spring training. You can underestimate or, I guess, be overly concerned about pitching uh, in the spring. Roughly by in the second week of spring training games, two-thirds of the teams in the, the Cactus League are going to have team ERAs somewhere between five and seven. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, it's just that kind of league, and there's going to be days where you have veteran pitchers who can't get out of the way of the mower blades. I wouldn't read too much into the, the actual statistical performance, but more we're looking at the, the physical preparation. Uh, are the players ready to play? What's fun to me is when the young players are playing against the young players. So we call it the second half of the game. So it, it, as, as generally the fans, the, the media are going to be more interested in the first five innings 
because that's when you're seeing Robbie Cano and Nelson Cruz and Mitch Hanniger and and the, and the like, D Gordon, and uh, and the se- the second part of the game, those four innings, is when you're watching your young players play against the other teams. You know, young players. The first five innings are watching veteran players who know how to get ready. The next four innings are watching really hungry young mm-hmm. players fight each other to show organizations and fans what they're capable of, and that's fun. You're going to see some crazy stuff. Sure. Uh, you know, you will you will see a guy come in the game in the fifth inning who goes three for three with two homers and big smile on his face. You will see a kid come over from the minor league side who's never had an at bat in a it really, in a, in a professional game, an 18-year-old Latino player who comes in and hits a homer. Watched it happen. And, and the impact that that leaves not only on that kid but on your developmental system and what that does for the, for the morale is off the charts. I also like seeing, you know, in that second half of the game, our, our younger relievers, the guys who are competing for spots on the club, for us this year, that's guys like Dan Altavilla and Nick Rumbelow. And they're, they're going to come out. This is when you see what they've got in the quiver, so to speak, because they're going to let them, they're going to let it hunt. And I, I would almost so be we really willing prefer, to bat. We really prefer let it eat on the podcast, Jerry. It's, that really is our uh, cacao. Can I cacao, say that? <laughs> cacao, uh, yeah. We really prefer let it eat. That is kind of a Mariners radio. Uh, like, I don't want to correct the GM, but like, let it hunt is kind of the preferred Mariners radio term. So I will I will change from quiver. Oh, I like quiver. Quiver was great. You don't pu- you don't pull a, a, a ah, good point. An okay. arrow out of the no, quiver you're, and you're let the it complete eat. package. Yeah, yeah you true. let it hunt. I was, I was okay. trying to connect the dots yeah. here. Okay. But uh, you know, guys like Dan Altavilla and and Nick Rumblow, there's my guess is you will see what they've got stuff wise. They are going to empty the tank. They will let it eat, and, <laughs> and that is that is fun. We saw it last year from James James Pazos, and my guess is you'll see it from Big James again this year with some kind of sexy mustache. <laughs> yes, that's, that's incredible. It's it's, it's an amazing. awesome stash. Yeah, uh, you know, hearing you talk about that, uh, the kind of the spring training experience made me think of two things. One. I think last year was the first year where I went the entire spring training, Jerry, and I never said a single stat because you learned your it's lesson. It's all ridiculous, right? I mean, it's all completely pointless. I mean, I shouldn't say it. You know what I mean? Yes. It's just a guy can hit a dozen home runs in a week and never hit one of the big leagues, right? Or a guy can give up a dozen home runs and never give one up until the All Star break. I mean, it's just it's a totally different environment, and I've learned my lesson. Secondly, hearing you talk about young players battling the young players in the second half of the game, a few years ago, I interviewed Lloyd for the pregame show following a game against the Rangers where the Mariners were down by like six, and it's our young guys versus their young guys, and we score seven to walk it off in the ninth, right? It's pretty, pretty amazing, and I interviewed Lloyd the next day. And, of course, I feel kind of compelled to bring up what happened less than 24 hours ago. And I said, Lloyd, boy, what a thrilling finish to the game yesterday against the Rangers, a seven-run ninth inning to walk it off. What you take away from uh, what you saw in the, the, the final inning of yesterday's game? Well, our AAA team beat their AAA team. <laughs> Silence. And you know, look at the feeling of like when you don't have a second question prepared. Yeah, that was me or that moment. That, you know, I, I might, I might not ask him about about late in the games ever again. So uh, that was his cacao. That, that, that was, was his cacao. Yeah. Okay, Lloyd. Well, we'll uh, let me come up with a second question. Uh, <laughs> but you're right. Those, as Steve Sparks, who a formal knuck, former knuckleballer, an analyst on radio for the Astros, once told me, 
you know, all those guys, all those kids at the end of the games, they all have a story, right? They all, and that, those at bats mean more to them than that is their World Series. That is right. I guess is the bottom They're line. They're dying to go, go tell their parents. Exactly. They're, they're, they can't wait to see the video footage of them on a big league field, particularly if it's the guy that subs in in the fifth inning and, and is facing someone they know. Right. Like the very first time standing on a, a spring training mound as a, as a professional player in a major league game, and, and you're standing there facing the middle of the San Francisco Giants batting order. You know, mm-hmm. It's Barry Bonds, and it's Will Clark, and it's Matt Williams, and you're thinking – this is the real deal. You know, I mean, it's, you, you, it, it kind of sends a, a shiver up your spine. It's a, it's a thrill. Absolutely. All right, our uh, last question today comes from Noah Lyons. And uh, I'm really interested in this answer, Jerry. Do you have any special collections or gifts in your memorabilia collection, which we've talked about in our previous podcast, from current Mariners players? Or we'll expand it even to you know Mariners players during your time here with Seattle. Wow. I th- two things. One, yes, is the answer to the question. I have in my office here at Safeco, I have started and this uh, probably midway through my first year here. I, I started a, 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 a collection of signed baseballs, not necessarily of this Mariners group, but of, of Mariners players past. That, it's, I would say it's probably up to about 30 or so balls. And it's it's anybody from the original Mariners to, you know, now, now I've taken it to a different level and, and actually been in contact with guys who you probably haven't heard of from in years. And, you know, and it started out with simple things like uh, Rupert Jones and Julio Cruz. And it, it went to the, the extreme because that's what I do. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm extreme. Uh, and and it's it's built up quite nicely. You've got a, it's 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 kind of an homage to to Mariners history in the in the office. And I think uh, you know occasionally someone will come in and sit down and they lose sight of it. It's all Mariners. That's that's all they are. From you know from items that I picked up you know from in the in the, the memorabilia world that I've been familiar in shopping. Things like a signed Dave Niehaus ball to uh, you know to more recent inclusions like a Robbie Cano, a Nelson Cruz, or a James Paxton and. Uh, additionally, one of the things that, that I get the great fortune of doing is attend a lot of, uh, of charitable functions that the players host. We have a really philanthropic group of players, and you know, not the least of which are Robbie Cano, Nelson Cruz, Felix is great in the community, and, and things that they do. And when we get a chance to go to their, to their, their functions, inevitably they're going to have some type of, of auction, a silent auction, a live auction, etc. And as a general rule, I will consistently walk out with something our players. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't really have any interest in buying, you know, the big poppy collection you know, <laughs> uh, as much as our, I like David. But the what I do have interest in is the guys that are here in, with the Mariners in our uniform who you know personally. And, you know, as a result, I've got framed jerseys of our players on the wall. I think I've got a, a beautiful oil painting that was done of Nelson Cruz uh, that I bought at, at one of his really? functions. Nice. And and it's, uh, it's, it's fun. I, I, I try to pick off something here or there. It's been great. To kind of bring all of the interests of this podcast together, uh, food and baseball, and and then and, and road tunes, yeah. I feel like in all of our spring training discussions of food, Jerry, we haven't referenced probably, I don't know, maybe the most iconic restaurant in terms of baseball and spring training in Scottsdale. That's Don and Charlie's. Oh my gosh, yeah. Uh, I mean, like Bob Euchre has, like, there is like the Euchre table. Um, I'm trying to think. Last year when I went there with my wife and one of the broadcasters for the Brewers, it, it wasn't Bob. Um, we saw Raleigh Fingers was there. And, his, and 
the reason I saw him was I thought I'm gonna when I get up to go to the restroom I'm going to take a lap around because you just you just never know who's going to be there you just know that the place is going to be packed uh, tell us about Don and Charlie's because it is it's one of the great places to go during spring training oh it really is Don and Charlie's probably the first time I had a chance to go to Don and Charlie's was in the early 90s when uh, when I was with the Cleveland Indians as a young player coming up in spring training and and we used to we were the only team down in Tucson. And we would we would That's lonely. Oh, it was, man, it was, <laughs> oh, you know man. what's lonely, brother, is being the young guy on those teams because what you will always be is you'll be the backup pitcher who's on the bus, and you're probably not going to pitch, but you're going to take every ride. And uh, and when you're doing that virtually every day, but we used to stay up in the valley for an extended period. Oftentimes, would eat up there before we drove back, and and uh, you know, and that was my first exposure to Don and Charlie's. And for me, and the way I'm wired, when you walk in and you see all the old baseball cards and the memorabilia, and the you know, the the, the just the notes that have been left by by players or baseball personalities past, uh, it's 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 really a step back in time to maybe what the original sports bar would have looked like. Only you do it. With pretty good food, and, right? Yes, absolutely. You know, and and the food was the food was so well regarded that you know we would get uh, inevitably even today. I'm, I'm not if I'm not mistaken. When we go to play the Giants in Scottsdale, on post game there'll be like styrofoam takeout boxes of Don and Charlie's for the guys to eat on the bus ride back to Peoria. So it's a it's a base it's an really you mentioned it, it's an iconic baseball spot where virtually every baseball person between the age of fifty and eighty has spent yes I would say a third of their spring training meals are eaten at Don and Charlie's because that's a gathering point and and as a result it's really hard to find a table because you're going to go in and see some people make a reservation yeah and to kind of paint the picture when you first walk through those double wooden doors into this long waiting room because it's a big restaurant and people are always waiting for their table. The whole left side, the whole left wall is just baseball cubes, just autographed baseball cubes. And I got to tell you, the first time I ever went there, which was back in 2013, when we walked in, baseballs are on the left and to the right was Willie Mays signing I'll autographs. T- I'll take the Willie Mays yes, for a hundred. It yeah, was wait. incredible. I mean, you knew you were in the right spot. And, uh, my go-to, by the way, Don and Charlie's, the charred ribs. Now, they're not like a – it's not a smoked rib, okay? So don't, like, think you're going to get, like, a smoky – like, there's no, like, smoke ring on this thing like you get, like, in Texas. Um, but the charred ribs are dynamite. Uh, With Texas beans. They, they do have some – Or do they have beans? Yeah, they have beans. I don't think I've had the beans. I can tell you this much. Uh, now retired Kevin Kremen. Uh, they have a, they serve a small ice cream sundae with hot fudge, which is, like, a great – because you're stuffed, right, but you want something – uh, they don't have pecans for the Sunday, and I don't know how Kevin did. Actually, I do. He just filled a Ziploc bag with pecans, put them in his pocket, and he he was the guy in the corner. He smuggled pecans, smuggling pecans, dumping them on top of his hot fudge Sunday. So. Having having met and known Kevin Kremen, that all seems to line up. For me. <laughs> it fits the police report perfectly, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, good. Well, I, I feel like we've gone too long without talking about Don and Charlie's, but on uh, the eve of you departing for spring training, this seemed like a good time. It, it gives me something to throw into Google Maps. <laughs> well, uh, you know, this is going to do it for episode 10, but uh, a reminder, opening night, March 29th, uh, just like eight weeks away practically, you can get your tickets at Mariners.com or at any Mariners team store. Uh, Jerry, as always, man, this is a lot of fun. Thanks for the time. I know you're busy. Uh, is it never too busy. Thanks, Jerry.